Welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got our man Trunk Fan here, lead writer Hustle, and we got Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value. What's happening, boys? Bro, by, by the way, another Elon reply guy. What, Just again? as we did last week, we talked about reply guy Elon. He found a tweet of mine from April 20th, 420. Add it to the deck, mate. Adding it to the deck. He did a smile, the, the smiling crying face. It was a tweet I did about uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. We should actually pull it up. The, the one, the one about the you know, Vinkovos twins in the air. Oh yeah, dude. Hold on. How do you think he's found? I'm that? gonna pull this up because uh, it's one of my underrated tweets, in my opinion. It, it was sitting in the weeds, and uh, and Elon found it. I have no idea how. And uh, I, I know Elon and. Uh, oh wait, this is the one he went down the rabbit hole, right? And it was a two-month-old. Yeah, well, this is where people are laughing because this tweet is like three months old. Hold on a second. Can you give me a screen share? Because we can laugh about this. I think you got it. I think it's... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I mean, Go the listeners can have a laugh. Try if you now. didn't listen... All right. If you didn't uh, listen to uh, last week's episode, we we're talking about how Elon is officially my reply guy. Because once you have five interactions with somebody... I hope he listens guy. to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. It looks like I can't screen share, but uh, I'll tell you what the, 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 the context of the tweet because I just think it's funny. Obviously, I'm pumping my own tires here, but who cares? So in 2004, uh, there's an IM instant message transcript between uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, some of his classmates about how he was going to screw the Winklevi, the Winklevoss twins. So this is the, this is the exact uh, text of that conversation. It all came out uh, from the case where uh, the Winklevi sued Mark Zuckerberg. So Zuck's friend goes, so have you decided what you're going to do about the website refer referring to basically the website that, uh, the Winklevi had asked him to make, I think it was called the face Connect. Oh, I was, I was yeah. before the Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before the Facebook. And then Zuck goes, yeah, I'm going to fuck them probably in the year correction year. I'm going <laughs> to fuck them in the year. Bro, you can't even well, mad at You up, can't make man. that up. You can't make that up. 19. I'm still writing some crazy shit in my DMs, and this you guy was writing that in 19. Yeah, you said worse than that in our Telegram group, man. Yeah, so. dude, exactly, bro. <laughs> um, anyways, Elon has uh, has actually had a beef with uh, Zuck going back a few years. He doesn't like Facebook. He's written delete Facebook on Twitter a few times, and then he just uh, his other one that's really funny is um, uh, somebody. Uh, uh, Zuckerberg had a comment about artificial intelligence and Elon just goes, you know, I actually talked to Mark about it. His knowledge about the subject is very limited. So this dude's got beef with like everyone and he's chirping at Zuck. He's trying to be number one, man. He found this tweet and did that, that, did that smiley face. So there you go, man. That, that's uh, it. Official the, uh, reply, guys. Someone update the counter. All right, boys. So today we're yeah. going to be chatting about, to give people a sense, we're going to be talking about Nas, the investor. So the, the famous rapper, my favorite rapper of all time, Nazir Jones. Uh, he's been killing it. Is he in the actually your game. favorite rapper? He's literally, yeah. I listen to him every day oh for like five. Oh my god, we need. Okay, yeah, keep was, okay, keep telling it. people what they're gonna hear because I'm still. All right, yeah, yeah. Let's off. let's do that. We'll come back to Nas though, but um, so yeah, he's he's made a bunch of money on Robinhood and Coinbase. We're gonna break that down and talk about that. Uh, then we're gonna do a little bit on Google. A lot of been, people have been talking about it being the greatest business of all time or the Google search businesses. Drucker Miller said that to you as well. We're gonna do a bit of a breakdown there on YouTube. You're gonna grill me a bit um, on that world. And then we got Jack's edge of the internet stuff. He's gonna be sharing some experiments he's been running and uh, some stuff he's been finding. And after that, if we got time, there's a few bonus sections, but we'll see how we are. 
So okay. should we kick off with Nas? Because this is really interesting. Yes. Do you want to yes. give people an understanding of like what he's been doing in investing? Okay, well, world? I'm just going gonna, gonna to frame uh, him as an investor. Then I'm going to ask you immediately because I want you to pump him up. I had no idea he was your favorite rapper. This is huge, right? So you get to man crush on Nas for a little bit. Wait, hold on. Jack, do you like Nas? Or whatever. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I can't call myself like a full-on connoisseur, but I respect the man. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like yeah. an encyclopedia okay, so of Nas, but he's... One of my favorites, if not my favorite. Okay. So Nas was one of the biggest rappers from Queens, New York in the mid nineties. Um, his first album, Illmatic is incredible. It's, it's actually one of the first albums I ever bought. Incredible. Yeah, a lot album. of people say it's the, the best hip hop album of all time. A lot of people say yeah. that. Dude, hold, man, hold on your man crush, buddy. I'm going to give you a chance. to crush <laughs> Let's go. Guy. Let's go. <laughs> all right. So Nas uh, has invested in 188 tech companies over the past decade or so. You could, I think he might be the best celebrity investor in the world right now, actually, more better than Ashton Kutcher um, at the very moment. Because this year, as you mentioned, he had two public listings, Coinbase and Robinhood. So uh, I don't know if you guys read Dan Runge's email, Trapital, incredible. He actually uh, yeah, commented on a video about uh, Indify, which Jack spoke about a couple. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I remember ago. that. Indify, the startup that is helping investors invest into individual songs. But TLDR, he writes upon the business of hip-hop. Trapital.co, incredible newsletter. If you've never read it or are not subscribed, I highly recommend you subscribe to it. But he wrote a rundown of Nas's investing career. So 188 startups, including Lyft, Dropbox, Casper, uh, PillPack, all these have had billion-dollar exits. And the way Nas actually got into it, and I, I'm bringing this up because Jack has mentioned this in the past and in our chats, is like something that's going on with the NFT and, and, and Web3 movement is that you're seeing how undervalued culture is, right? Like Jack, you bring this up. It's like, it's demonstrating the, the money that people are willing to pay for these quote unquote NFTs. Listen, a lot of it's bubblish, but it's also indicating that culture has been extremely undervalued, right? There's not been a great way to monetize it. But what I love well, about well, Nas's story. Not for well. the people who are actually creating the product. Right, There's plenty right, of right. people making money off, off culture, oh, that's but a good not point. the people right. that are making the stuff, typically. Okay, that good, very good clarification. Right? Yeah. People are getting paid. But now there's an opportunity for the actual creators to get paid. And uh, well, so Nas did, he used his cultural clout in an interesting way, right? He's like, he is very good friends with Ben Horowitz, the partner at Andreessen Horowitz. And I believe his uh, venture firm is called Queensbridge Venture Partners or something along those lines. And, uh, and, and there's no question, Andreessen, uh, I mean, uh, Ben Horowitz has been helping him become a great investor. A lot of his good investments uh, coincide with the investments that uh, Andreessen have made. But having said that, man, like, there are a lot of people, a lot of celebrities, a lot of money, and a lot of people cutting checks. And he was cutting checks to Coinbase in 2013 when it was worth $100 million and to Robinhood in 2014, I believe, in the Series A when it was worth about $150 million. But these were not home run bets at all, right? And he's cutting $100,000 to $500,000 checks. So I tweeted this out saying that he had gone into Robinhood at $0.20 cents a share and is trading around $36, $38 today. So 200x. On, let's just call it a 500k check. That's 100 million dollars. Coinbase, same deal. If he, that he got about 100 mil. If you look at even through dilution, his uh, his kind of paper gains on that. And now, before Bilal crushes on Nas to explain how big of a legend <laughs> this guy is, I just want to talk about the comments that I've been getting on Twitter. Yeah. This tweet, they are so idiotic. It's just 
I mean, we know this. And, and Jack actually mentioned to me before this chat, it's like, you got to mute all notifications from people that aren't your friends, right? Or your followers. It's just like, the thing I realized about Twitter is the part that actually pisses me off uh, when I engage with kind of these anonymous accounts is not uh, that their initial comment is me commenting on it. And then now you're waiting for them to reply, right? So that actually starts eating on your brain. So the initial comment triggers me. But the way it gets really bad is if I comment on their comment and now waiting for them to reply, right? Because if it takes them 20, 30 minutes to reply and I'm just sitting there, they just took 20, 30 minutes of my life. So I'm like using every ounce of self-control not to reply to these idiots. But I've got basically three flavors of comments. First comment is, and this, this first one's not even wrong. It's like, hey, you know, the average retail person doesn't get these deals. Fair enough. You're right. You did it. But the average retail person obviously wasn't also as talented as Nas to build himself into the greatest rapper ever, right? This guy, it's not like he was getting these deals because he was born into it. He was an incredibly talented dude who might have created the greatest rap album ever and earned the cultural clout to be asked to do this. Number two is that's not his fault that he's getting these deals. The SEC is the one that creates these rules. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, people should be allowed to angel invest. And that is changing. Angel list is really helping along those lines. And I know that they're trying to push people and the SEC to allow more people to invest. I think uh, a way to frame it is like, if I mean, people can invest in fucking dog shit coin and, and not have to be accredited, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like they should be invested to be able to invest in startups is allowed to do that. I don't know. Second, I don't know what these marketplaces are, but like Republic and things of that nature, like you can raise 5 million from unaccredited investors now and their platform's popping up. So it's going to change. Exactly, right? So- I, 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 that flavor of comment, I'm kind of okay with. The second flavor of comment was along the lines of what makes these guys such good investors, right? They're just celebrities that got early access. I'm like, dude, trust me, a lot of rich celebrities have eaten a lot of shit, right? Like you, you, we don't have, you don't have to Google very far to see. Just Google like awful celebrity investments and you'll find a lot of them. So, I mean, there still is a bit of like, I mean, he's invested 188 startups, right? He's really thinking like a venture capitalist. You got to give this guy credit where credit is due. And then the last one is just straight up racist shit, man. <laughs> just straight up racist shit. That's ridiculous. It's like, like, well, one one comment is like, oh, these guys are complaining that he that they're being oppressed and they're getting these opportunities. I'm like, bro, are you kidding me? And then I clicked on the guy's profile, and sure enough, it was like put Hillary Clinton in jail was like his hashtag. So, that was, oh boy, that was pretty consistent. <laughs> so, anyways, to summarize. Nas is killing it as an investor, has had a crazy year, and Robinhood, his latest uh, kind of win, is probably another $100 million victory for him. And uh, you know what? He's a great investor. So let's rewind, though, 25 years or so to the mid-1990s. Bilal, you are in New York City, where Nas is from. Tell me how big of a legend. Tell our listeners how big of a legend Nas is. Yeah, well, so I lived in London, obviously, back then. Nowadays, I'm in New York. But yeah, I guess for me, this type of music I loved growing up was I mostly listened to hip hop, but it was all about the lyricism. And obviously, he's like one of the best, if not the best for that. There's like Biggie, Jay-Z and a few others. But man, yeah, he's just, it's just incredible, like raw, like the early stuff was so raw. And then over time, he just grew. And that's kind of like my favorite sort of artist, like one of my... Other favorite artist from the UK that Jack and I both like is Kano. And he's the same. Like he was this raw guy, 18 years old, coming out the blocks. And then now you see his stuff. He's He's got like an orchestra on stage in the Royal Albert Hall and he still crushes that. So they're the sort of people I like 
Uh, but yeah, man, Illmatic, Stillmatic, it was written. I literally listened to that every day on the way to school for like five to seven years, probably. What's your favorite post office right below? Yeah, yeah, on the way to the post office because I was selling <laughs> hats and uh, I would drop them off thinking I was like, no, nah, I'm 16 years old. So I was like, you know, that on Illmatic, what is it? The world is yours, like like this super motivational shit. It was written. It was written, all right, yeah, okay. But yeah, so wh- what were you about to say, Trung? No, we got to talk about your hats, man. Tell us, tell the listeners more about your entrepreneurial ventures selling hats while listening to. Nas. No, it was, yeah. I mean, I, so I was, I was sixteen, so I was selling stuff on the internet and in the playground. But uh, <laughs> it would be, I would Bro, take. <laughs> what year is this, man? You're making e-commerce stores before. Uh, yeah, yeah. You it even was make- 2004, 2004. So there was no Shopify. Next I don't step. think it was an OS commerce, open source commerce, and because uh, I was just kind of poor so i just took got everything that was free os commerce was like wordpress um of of e-commerce can we do, can we do a way go back on. machine screen oh, share can you do oh it oh my Dude, god it is how embarrassing. About this? when we finally get <laughs> yeah, this god. merch thing going i know we keep talking about it can we do some of the older hats that Bilal used to oh, sell? Oh, that's great. That would be it. funny. Do you <laughs> know what? what the, one, the one that was really popular talking to hip hop was a Compton hat, which I had never <laughs> oh. been to Compton. It's hilarious because, you know, I'd, now I've been like a bunch of times because my You've girlfriend lived. Well, I've driven through it and my girlfriend grew up in LA. And so like we go there all the time. And so it was just like Long Beach and Compton. Long Beach was Snoop Dogg's hat. Uh, well, the one he would wear, and then Easy E used to wear Compton hat, and I used to import it from the states. So it's two dollars to a pound. So I, I remember the numbers. It was like two pound, three pounds to buy, and then I would sell them for like fourteen pounds. And then sometimes people in the states will be buying from me, <laughs> and it didn't make any sense. I was like, why is someone paying thirty-two dollars to uh, uh, to buy this? So yeah, Dude, man. How brutal is that? I remember I used to do eBay shit, and. Uh, Shipping is just the funniest, right? It's like you gotta, you gotta. Well, you make your margin, it, man. Yeah, you got. <laughs> shipping. What did not you included. sell on eBay? What did you? Dude, it's like you. I was. I mean, we talked about this, but I was using my old man's credit card to buy shoes, right? And like shoes and basketball jerseys. And uh, man, Doctor Cafan rolling home and like seeing his credit card bill. I was like, wait, what's that? Five thousand on eBay? You were like early hype be selling, yeah? Like nice. the it was a, sneaker I mean, I didn't culture make any I didn't make any money. I actually spent a, I mean, you guys will laugh because my physique does not uh, represent it, but I was spending G's on bodybuilding.com, man. Like, <laughs> I have tried every That's single, hilarious. every supplement. I was, I was, I was taking something called animal pack. Have you ever heard I've of taken, that? I've had that. I've taken dude, that you, before. Yeah. Bro, you, dude, the pills, the animal pack did, uh, Bilal, you don't, I don't know if you know what this is, but like, it's one Animal. of those supplements, yeah. It's like no, no. It's not even. It was daily vitamin packs. There's like thirty vitamins a day, and they're prepackaged. In I mean, first of all, I gotta ask Jack why he was taking it, but like they were like horse tranquilizers. Like the vitamin was this big. I didn't put on a single pound of muscle. I probably added fat though. <laughs> like I'll tell you the one thing that really hyped me up was hydroxycut. You ever use that stuff? No, I've heard Pre- of it. It's like Dude, fat burn and stuff. I think this right? is a yeah. business in the making trunk. We got Bro, some uh, I mean, well, supplement I mean, business yeah, I mean, on the make, way. Man, people make billions selling this stuff, right? It, all it is is like it's like it's just it's just souped up. Uh, it's souped up. Uh, was it uh, caffeine basically? Right? It just gets you yeah, 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 yeah. Like the pre-workout yeah. stuff is basically the caffeine. Exactly. But wait, hold, Jack. You did Animal Pack. Yeah, man. I I lived with this uh, group of lads my last couple of years at university. <laughs> One of them was on a rugby team. 
and it was like he'd bring the stuff home and he worked at the gnc in cardiff oh, so he'd get all the free samples yeah. and stuff so then we'd get on the uh little creating life months bro did you right. ever i got in shape from that stuff but it was like i used to get nosebleeds all sorts of stuff it's not good for you <laughs> What the hell was in there, man? Dude, yeah. it's totally worth it, though. And that's so funny that it was uh, GNC, man. Yeah, GNC here. I had buddies that worked at GNC. They did bring home stuff like uh, Russian Bear 5000. It's like this protein mix that had 5,000 calories of surfing. Yeah. Man, I got some funny stories about all that along the, those lines. Just yeah, Oh, that's funny. Wait, how did we even do? start talking about supplements, bro? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, what you would be Dr. selling ben or buying on the internet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, anyways, man, I'm no, sure there are a few other things you were buying at that age, teenage trunk on a hype. So. Yeah, man. Well, I like I said, man, I'd be walking around school looking for people wearing flower shirts and seeing what they're selling. <laughs> I wasn't even saying that, but yeah, I'm sure you were wild, wild child trunk. Um, all right, but was there anything else on Nas? Because I, I mean, I think the one thing I'll say is it ties in with some of the previous stuff we've talked about with Jay Z, what he's doing in in the culture, meeting, investing stuff. And it's cool to see like people like them, uh, these rappers who back in the day would have just been someone who'd hold up a bottle of Ciroc and say, hey, buy Ciroc. And now it's like Diddy owns yeah. a big part of Ciroc or whatever. And uh, same with Jay-Z. He like sold that brand recently. So yeah, man, that's the that's the way forward. It's all the same stuff we've been talking about for, for months. Why don't we, uh, well, Jack, I love uh, just from, you know, your, your creator dude here. Everything you're seeing, these guys. What do you think when you see Nas making cheddar on these IPOs? Like, what are you thinking? You're like, man, that's just like, that's just the wave, man. Like, this is just, it's turning. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like maybe it's just like the changing of the guard in some ways. Like, it's really, really hard to gatekeep a lot of this stuff now. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. You read through those comments. Like, people assume that the people making the savviest investments are like people working in an office block in new york but what really makes sense is like somebody who can shape mold understand culture like that really is the vehicle that makes any investment successful right like 50 cent vitamin water is another example it's like yeah. these people are institutions that actually have the ability to move markets and they understand people because they make product for people rather than they're just like speculating in spreadsheets and stuff not to say they're not doing technical due diligence but i think maybe their instinct is uh is on a different level too because they just they, they make product that gets consumed at that scale right like that's and why to, they're so good at consumer facing right like they're like i mean this is what uh, sorry bill i didn't mean to cut you off no, no, what I wanted to add was just the point was basically like the idea of like, oh, there's celebrities like they didn't have to do anything that just kills me man i'm just like dude do you understand how hard these guys work to like get to the level they're at, right? Like, and to maintain it. Like if you think of like Kim Kardashian, it. someone so who personally I was never really a fan of, but looking at what she's done over oh, time. Oh, hustle, man. Yeah, thing. because it's easy just to say like, oh, she had a sex tape and then, you know, like she became famous or whatever for nothing, which you could argue is kind of the initial point. But to then keep going for however, however long it's been. I don't think people understand how hard a lot yeah. of celebrities, like, this is the thing. Yes, when you, okay, I'm not going to include Kim Kardashian because she did come yes. from a lot She's of money, She's an extreme, right? yeah, that's true. And an she, extreme and she example. Came, her father was a Robert Kardashian, you know, represented OJ. Is a lawyer, rich LA family. Having said that, I'm a Nas and Snoop. These guys came from nothing, right? They came from literally nothing. And 
to have these people say like, oh, just because they're celebrities, like, dude, how did they become celebrities? Do you know how hard they work to become celebrities? I, I, these, I don't think the people criticizing have put in the amount of work that these guys do to get there, man. And, and another thing is you could argue that the amount of like consumer value and capital that's traded around their careers is probably more oh, yeah. than what they've captured back. Oh, absolutely. By a, by a factor of, you know, by some crazy exponent. Yeah. Well, so let me cap it with this. So I did see some positive stuff. Thank God. It was from, uh, I got a lot of uh, black, uh, quote retweets from some uh, black Twitter accounts. And they're like, this is black excellence. And I'm like, yes, this is like, you should be, you know, this is a positive for the community. And the fact that, and the point they, uh, they brought up or a couple of tweets I saw was basically like, they held these things, right? It's like, they cut these checks and held them for seven to eight years. Like it wasn't a conspicuous consumption. They weren't buying jets. I mean, I'm sure these guys have a lot of the conspicuous consumption, but having said that, it's like, you know, this is what you want to be teaching young people that haven't had the means or that don't have this type of role model. It's like you invest your money. You might not get a Robin Hood deal flow, but you invest your money and you just let that shit compound, right? So, man... The, play, God, what play, the way I see it, man, is like, like everything. There's, there's skill, there's hard work, and there's luck. Like, and yeah. we could spend a whole hour talking about each of those, so we don't need to go down the rabbit hole. But yeah, did Nas have luck meeting some people? Yeah, I'm sure. But did he literally come from nothing? Prove? Did he have like a, a God-given or a natural talent for poetry that became rap? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Was he born at a certain time? where hip-hop was like going off on a rocket ship yes but he also worked incredibly hard and he did a lot of those things and now to keep it going for this amount of time even if that just means finding a good partner because that's another thing right a lot of these guys are working with other people who are really you know in the weeds with this stuff and they they have the deal flow already but like he had to get in a position to provide enough value exactly, dude. that was mutually beneficial so man it, i mean you just got to celebrate it and i think the people that are spouting off about it is they're going to be finding a reason to complain anyway man so <laughs> you can't really Bro, can't really entertain i mean it. we were going to do a whole segment about reading twitter comments right we should probably hold that because that that shit will that not shit today will you're not in the i think you're gonna go off yeah. too much <laughs> yeah dude, uh, let, let it yeah. calm down you'll Real forget quick, about though, it tomorrow quick quick round robin on it best nas album trunk you got one oh it's gotta be illmatic it's, it's gotta be illmatic. It's just it is legendary man it's Nick, just it's jack legendary. i don't know if you got one I think Illmatic, but I'm going to look it up while you answer just to make sure that I'm Yeah, I'd probably say Illmatic too. It's the obvious one, but I will say, yeah, I mean, they're all great in their own ways. I mean, ways, that but kind of mid-90s, dude. Oh, my God, man. So Wu-Tang's first good. album, 36 Chambers, uh, Ready to Die, Biggie, the two double albums from Pac and Biggie, uh, Life After Death, man. and All Eyes on Me. It, Can't beat him, man. Reasonable Doubt. I, I can't remember when Reasonable Doubt came out, but anyway, so... Uh, nah, yeah. yeah, so... All right, cool. Well, yeah, anyway, big up to Nas and the crew. They've been uh, killing it. Robin Hood's stock went public today that we're recording on Thursday. This will be out a few days or a week after. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes after that. It's um, actually down 3% now. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if they're going to stop people from uh, being able to sell. Anyway, let's <laughs> let's uh, move on from, from Robin Hood. All right, do you want to talk about this Google Google Ads stuff, Trunk? This is something we were discussing a little bit in the Telegram yeah, Do you want group. to actually throw up the, the tweet? 
uh, uh, if you want to throw it up, it's super Which one was it? I don't know if I've got it. The Javen guy or the J something? No, Tene. Tene. Oh, oh, oh. Let me pull that up. I don't think I have it in the. Do you, do you have it open? Okay, I, I'll read it. It's from Tane. Um, yeah. I can't even say his last name. I don't want to be offended. Uh, Jai Puria. He's a. Uh, uh, I think he works uh, for. I think he worked at Andreessen. He's a, a really smart writer, investor. Um, but he had a great tweet, man. So all the big tech companies did their earnings, and uh, and you know how that there's a really famous chart about from mary meeker we could probably pull this up man. i i need a, i fucking need a screen share right now i've been swearing so much man. i think I've, I've made the screen share it's, it's on for multiple mary meeker try, try uh, screen share. okay so let me just talk through for our listeners and hopefully we can see it but basically mary meeker is a venture capitalist she's very uh, well known in the in the late 90s I, I can't remember if she worked at morgan stanley but she's an analyst was calling a lot of the tech stuff um but her re- Report, the internet report comes out every year. Everybody looks at it. Uh, the, the chart that she's had for many years now is basically like, if you look at where the money is allocated uh, in advertising versus where the eyeballs are, you know, it's like, whatever, I'll, I'll do the hypothetical example. But like the media spend on uh, on television or the media eyeballs, it's like, whatever, 60%, but it gets 80% of uh, advertising, right? There's a divergence. Basically, a lot more advertising dollars are still in kind of older media. And she's like, there's an inevitable shift that's going to happen to digital. And obviously with COVID, everything went super digital. And then we just had the most recent earnings from big tech and the biggest digital advertisers. And the numbers are absolutely insane, right? So <laughs> Google uh, ad revenue, basically ad base up 69% year in year. Yeah, there it is. Insane. YouTube up 84% year on year. And look at the numbers that these are coming off of. These are at low bases, right? Like Google's already uh, doing 120, 130, $140 billion a year in revenue. And it's going up 70% year on year. Snapchat, 116%. Twitter, 87%. LinkedIn, for God's sake. LinkedIn is up 100% year on year digital advertising. It's crazy. So just the whole idea that as the shift finally happens where all this money that is still stuck in older media, whether that be television, even radio, radio is doing about 10 billion in advertising this year versus podcasts, which is uh, doing about a billion. So radio is 10 times bigger than ad dollars. Although I think they probably still probably have more uh, man hours or human hours. I think it's very underestimated, especially in middle America, how much radio is consumed. I remember when I started working, I was doing construction. Cause it's the cars too, right? Like people yeah, are driving and us guys on the coast a lot. Well, maybe not LA, California, but in New York, I don't think about it cause I walk everywhere. Right. But most of the world radio is still is driving around. Yeah. yeah, of course. But having said that, uh, yeah. So the, to put a pin on the hat, absolutely massive growth numbers in digital advertising, even from huge bases already. And yeah, I think it's just it's just going to keep running, right? So, love to uh, the opportunity here is to pick Bilal's brain, former Google employee. So, I mean, Bilal, I mean, what you can pick, man? Like, tell us about the magic of these platforms. Why? And you work in the digital ad space, and what you're seeing, and and the, if the shift in your eyes is inevitable. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. When I started working on it, it was January 2010, right? So, just to paint a picture of what it was like then, it wasn't. The beginning of google obviously but even then i would be going into rooms and people like there's a cmo of a now of a public company said to me we don't believe in the internet we call it the internet and that's always stayed with me 
and this guy had a budget of you know billions and billions in in marketing spend and my job was 2010 no that that was that was later that was when i moved to new york actually that was in 2013 <laughs> 14 and yeah insane and and this guy you know he's he was 70 something years old to be fair their stock actually did pretty well they were a huge tv spender you can't say what it is can you tell uh, us and bleep it out it's a it's a shoe company that isn't like isn't one isn't like Nike Adidas that I'd work with some okay, of them as okay, well. Okay, okay, you've said enough. We we can tease. Yeah, it yeah, out. yeah. They're old school, and I mean, honestly, it's not. I I mean, I would say the name is just like I, I don't know, like un, any implications. It's cool, but but I don't want to get to some know. some funny stories with this guy. I mean, he had some legendary emails and stuff that he would say. But I mean, stuff that probably should be cancelable nowadays for the sort of okay. stuff he'd say. But I mean, one thing I'll quickly say: we took him to the U.S. Open. And uh, it was, you know, one of them client events. I know Jack's done a bunch of this in his old job as well. And he literally told us, these are the worst seats I've ever been in. <laughs> and and I, I'm sure they, we were just sitting there like, why are you? This is Where so ridiculous. It was just like a normal seat. It wasn't in like a box or anything. But we were like, all right, well, if you spend a little bit more money on YouTube, uh, maybe we'll upgrade you next time. But yeah, so obviously I'm kind of joking. But he said stuff like that. And it was just, but so that's in 2015 or 2014, 2010, the way people saw Google, even I'd argue even today is people just think of Google search, right? But Google is just obviously the full stack of advertising on the advertising side. There's awareness, there's the YouTube side, which is basically like the equivalent of TV advertising. There's the, what used to be print advertising that people spend a bunch of money on is Google content network, display network, and you know, millions of websites on the internet, AdSense. Um, uh, and then right at the bottom is Google search, right? Like when I say the bottom, I mean the funnel. So like what people have spent traditionally their money on is brand advertising. Like the majority of budgets were spent on eyeballs, Coca-Cola, get it in your face, car ads like Jack used to work on. And that makes sense because you're, you're trying to go abroad. But what the amazing thing with Google search and arguably why it's the best, you know, advertising product of all time it was the first time you got true intent and someone just putting their hand up at the moment of purchase or at the moment of wanting information, right? Because you spend hundreds of hours doing other stuff, but when you're looking for a flight, you'll type in cheap flights to Barcelona or you'll say best Airbnbs in Spain or whatever. And that's the moment where a booking.com is going to say, I want to make sure I bid on every single query and not giving much away here, but they were basically the biggest uh, client at the time. Well, the, the, the OTAs are they, responsible exactly. for the majority. Uh, that the one right? company, I think, spent over a billion dollars just Online on Google travel search. agencies, OTAs, are the largest spenders on Google. Yeah. yeah, and they're just bidding on every single thing, right? So that's one is the intent. The second big thing is auction, right? So a lot of people listening might already know this, but... For those of you who don't, let's go back to what advertising was all about before. Magazines, TV, print. You'd say, I've got X eyeballs. This is the rate to reach a thousand, a million people. Now pay me this money, right? There was no real measurement, like how many people clicked and went to the site and how many purchased was the lifetime value, all the crazy stuff we can do now. With, with search, they said, well, we're not just going to fix the price. We're going to open it up to the market. There's going to be an auction. And without going into all the weeds, it's a dynamic auction where I can say, as a Shopify small site who's selling shoes, I know my margins, I know my average order value, I'm willing to spend $3 per click. 
And someone else comes along like Amazon and says, well, actually we can bid 350 because <laughs> you know we're Amazon and we want to be in the top. But the, the key thing is that's just the one part of the auction. The second part of the auction is what's called ad rank or call, basically quality score, right? Is a better way to describe it. So that means if I'm in the top position, I could actually be paying a lot less than someone in number two or number five position. And the reason what? is because if my ad is the most relevant, if I'm oh Nike and someone types in Nike, my ad should show up first. So I'm rewarded. So my, Nike's cost per click could be 50 cents for their own click. And Adidas could be in second place paying $5. So it's not just the biggest, the one who's got the biggest bid wins. It's those two components. So, they're so really this revolutionized. Rewarding. They're really yeah, rewarding. Rewarding uh, relevancy. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's also a lot of negatives, right? There, there. I mean, listen. Let me frame it with the negatives. I want, to, I want you to keep talking about definitely no. The thing that because it, it does come to mind where you say the relevancy. So a big criticism now is basically though that like your competitors can buy your keywords, right? So that's supposed to stop that. But if you actually type in uh, uh, Shopify, you might get a competitor at the top. So uh, so Toby Lucky, the CEO of Shopify, has complained. He's been calling them out, Twitter. right? Yeah, yeah I've seen like, that. It's like, I have to pay to stay on top of Google search, right? Which is, it does, he, he basically said it was a uh, hush money or like a mob, like a mob payment essentially, yeah, right? I, I completely get that point of view. I, 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 if I was paying out of my own pocket to bid on my own brand, I would feel like that. But the other argument is it's a free open market and there are some policies right. like the, I mean, if you look at traditional advertising, Microsoft and Apple forever were calling each other out, right? Like they were talking about yeah. each other's stuff. We've always done that. So you could argue this is something similar and they've tried to account for, you know, the relevancy right. to get the user the best result. But anyway, that's, I'm not like a spokesperson from Google. This is my opinion. And totally. I do think it's in Google's ben Google's advantage to have all of those running, obviously because of money. I, like I've worked with a lot of brands who didn't want to bid on their own brand and they just lost money because people, you, why yeah. are you even going to risk having your competitor at that moment just, in that person's mind? Like don't even right. risk it. So it's just um, how it is, right? Like that's the game, right? Like before, if you're going to a supermarket, you have to bid it. for that shelf space, right? It's that's like, a great, I, if you uh, want to be, you want to be eye level, you got to pay for it. So I get that. So just to summarize, uh, the number one is the, the moment of intent, which is just unbelievable right it's the most powerful and best time to capture somebody uh the the, the auction mechanisms what else is there what is all the other secret sauce that people might not know yeah i mean and then i guess for me beyond search because obviously as a business search is incredible because they're not sharing revenue with anyone pretty much there are something called search partners like ask jeeves if you remember them and ask so they run basically google search ads on their search engines and they take a cut, right? So that apart from that, they're basically got 100% margins on that transaction. Obviously, there's other uh, like costs to account for, but you you can't compare that with anything, right? Even YouTube, and uh, which we can come on to in a second, which is an amazing business. You have revenue shares, right? So YouTube pays out 55% to the publisher, keeps 45% for themselves as the platform. Google has 100% of the share on Google search. And then a big thing, what's happening right now is with Apple, who are kind of playing around now with iOS updates where they're trying to 
bring more privacy controls and stuff like that. But they're basically blocking a lot of these pixels and stuff like that, which is a huge problem for advertising right now. Right. So if you're running Facebook ads, your numbers have gone down pretty much a lot of the time. And so Facebook's getting impacted by that. Everyone's getting impacted, but I would argue that Google search isn't as impacted because it's first party data. Whereas, you know, with Facebook, you're relying on people's browsing behavior um, and stuff like that across websites. So anyway, that's, we can go down a rabbit hole there. But the last thing I'll say is YouTube. And this is something that people have been talking a lot about because the numbers just came out. I think the quarterly uh, revenue was 7 billion or something like that, which is kind of crazy to put that in perspective. It's going to surpass Netflix. It's going to surpass Netflix, right? Yeah. And that is insane because if you look at just from a business point of view, Netflix spends billions and billions of dollars on production and creating all this amazing content. And it's got a different business model. They're charging people every month. And then YouTube is like, you know, obviously investing. They're actually paying out $20, $30 billion uh, to creators and publishers too. But they're not like commissioning uh house of cards right like it's a very different business model and now they're adding in subscription too so they're getting advertising money and subscription yeah and they've got one two billion users or whatever i don't know the exact it's numbers two, two billion plus two, two billion, billion plus. so if you just think of that that's on the user side and the last part i say is the ads the last innovation bringing the intent that we talked about on search and the auction dynamic to video advertising that didn't really exist in the same way. So they invented this thing called TrueView ads. So you know those annoying ads everyone skips on YouTube? A lot of people don't know, but if you press skip and you you watch less than 30 seconds, the advertiser doesn't pay any money. And that was Google's way of YouTube's way of saying, well, if how do we bring that same intent to this sort of advertising, which traditionally only paid for impressions? And yeah, you can still buy impressions as well, like you know, a uh, number of eyeballs. But a lot of people use the auction. Um, and, you know, that costs, man. Like, I run these ads. They, they cost, like, two to three, five cents sometimes. And you're only paying when someone wants to watch it. So that was a pretty big innovation as well. Well, dude, I want to talk about that, actually, because uh, the intent piece is so big, right? Is if YouTube can actually deliver. So uh, let me ask you. You're the expert here. How close is that to being similar to the text search. How far are we from that? I think it's still far because the text search is literally the moment you're proactively searching, you're putting your hand up and saying, give me this information. Whereas YouTube is still, you're generally being pushed that message. It might be like, hey, what is a recipe for uh, chicken soup salad, right? And it's like, you might be able to send up... That's a different type of search, right? Because like, there's yeah. there's there's navigational search. There's uh, like, how do I get to a place? There's a commercial driven search, which is like, what's the price of this? What's the best credit card? Stuff like that. But that's just search. Obviously, most of YouTube is actually just people browsing. And the way you target people is not just on search. It's like just based on the audience browsing behavior. So, um, and actually, if you're listening to this and you're curious, if you go on your browser and go to google.com forward slash ads, ADS forward slash preferences, it's not 100% accurate, but you can see what Google is seeing as your profile. 
in terms of the advertising groups. Fascinating. So I'm looking at mine right now and it's got my age. It's got types of music I like. Nas? Um, Does it say Nas? Because if it doesn't, it's wrong. It's got hip hop. And <laughs> this is really broad, right? So all of this isn't completely accurate. But as an advertiser, then you can go and say, I want to go find millions of people who are hip hop fans who are in this demographic. So it's, it's pretty incredible, man. And the, the last thing I mentioned and is now there's ways that you can take the Google search intent actually on Google search, like typing in best, uh, you know, hotels in Barcelona, create a group and then target those people on YouTube with ads, which you couldn't do when I used to work there. Oh, that was, connecting. there's a way to oh do it. It's quite God. advanced. Most people don't do this still. And it's, and that way you're, you're actually taking the intent of that person who's already shown the intent. And then you're getting the scale of video and you're, you're telling a better story than a text ad. You're getting a video with sound, sight, motion or whatever. So man, it's, it's, look, I'm not like, I do work in this stuff and I find it interesting. It can be a little boring for some people, but if you just compare that to dumb TV ads and, and uh, um, TV has its place and they're not, you, know, you can make money from running TV ads for sure, but there's none of this, right? Like you can't segment and target in this way and actually see all the analytics and see how it's working. So I just think more money on a macro level is going to keep moving in this direction. And YouTube's probably in the best place because if the, the money is still in the brand dollars and the kind of like conversion dollars, which is like people spending to buy, uh, or like commercial at the bottom of the funnel, they've got all of it. So uh, yeah, man, let's, we could I talk about it for a, ages, but go on. I add, well, first of all, man, that's amazing. We need to keep grilling you about this because I, mean, no, no, I know it, you're yeah. getting the weeds, but I think people will like it. Yeah. I have three comments about YouTube and then I want to ask Jack about it because he's worked in television and I don't know, he's done ads in the past too. Um, so YouTube, what's interesting is uh, just from, if you're looking at it from an investor point of view, um, it, it's average revenue per user is only a third of Facebook, right? So like huge room to run. Like if it's, if, if let's say even doubles, right? It's a $60 billion a year business. And if you, and a 10 X multiple, and that's not insane. So literally YouTube is a probably $500 million asset, $500 billion asset, right? Which is insane. That'd be like the 15th to 20th biggest company in the world. So that's one thing. That would be twice the size of Netflix, right? Because Netflix like exactly. two or three. It's bigger than Disney. The other thing that I want to mention was, and you touched on it, but so YouTube really is positioning themselves to take over the cable bundle, right? Like people keep talking about, oh, like who, you know, is NBC going to go over the top? Is CBS going to go over the top? It's actually, wait a second. YouTube already has a TV package. YouTube TV costs $70 a month. You, They're already building these relationships out. And the amount of money that's in cable television is astronomical, right? We're talking tens and tens and tens. I think it might even be close to $100 billion a year yeah. is that kind of industry. If that's shifting online, people are kind of missing. They think that people are going to put that money into like streaming services. Hey, you know, $10 on Netflix a month, $10 on Disney a month. It's like, well, actually, YouTube is building the full replacement. And if they capture that, and like you said, this is adding on top of the fact that they already have this existing ad business, which is 90% of their revenue. And that's so the thing now people can just press a button and go in the same interface. You buy YouTube ads in the same interface, you buy Google search ads. There you go, So it's, it's all in one place, right? It's the levers they have to pull to make YouTube bigger are absolutely, it, it's crazy. 
that this literally, I mean, and it's already the second most visited website in the world is the second biggest search engine in the world already behind Google. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm blown away by it. I'd love to tease out more. I'm going to do a little bit more research. Yeah, we can do that. One. I'm curious on Jack's point of view though, because Jack, you worked, you know, in advertising forever. You did like real creative stuff, like the other side that I haven't had as much experience in. Like, what was your, did you see this changing over time as well? Because you're quite digitally savvy, but you're probably working with a lot of traditional people. Like, how was their kind of mindset towards the stuff you can do in digital versus like what it used to be like? Yeah, I, th I was just thinking about it as you guys were talking. One of the biggest barriers, I think, is similar to what we were talking about with smart contracts, like that, that's 10 years ahead of what we're talking about here, but the talent that exists to place digital media is way smaller of a pool. And the interfaces that you have to do to like run an ad on Facebook, Bilal, we were talking about this. It's like t trying to like land the, the Starship Enterprise. Like you open that thing, it's like, <laughs> what, what the hell's going am on? I looking yeah. at here, right? You can I think Google's even worse, to be honest. It's <laughs> right. even Exactly. You can boost a post or you can do like these really basic things, but the really sophisticated ad strategies, like you need like incredibly talented people to deploy that one, probably because like engineers are building those interfaces and it's like a, like they're making so much money without it being this like really sophisticated consumer <laughs> product that maybe like they Definitely. must be working on the UI of it and trying to make it easier to place ads and stuff. But that may be like when none of this stuff happens overnight, but I feel like that has been a bit of a barrier to date. Whereas like we want to run a Super Bowl ad. It's like, you got a contact at wherever. It's like, give me the thing in this format and we'll run it, right? Or we want a place. It's also, they give the full service, right? Like it's yeah. very different where like half of our job was to train people how to do it themselves because we couldn't do it all for them. But yeah, yeah I, think it's, going. It, I think it's completely... I think it's completely obvious to most people at this point that like dollars spent online are like you probably get more bang for your buck, but you also see like there are anomalies where like I, I sort of equate it to the D to C brands that end up in target or whatever. Right. So it's like you're selling, I think it was Harry's razors or something. And you think like, Oh, these guys would never go in retail because it would kill their margins and stuff, but it's like ad placement and there is, there are so many people that like we're so close to it that we don't quite understand that there still is like an enormous amount of reach that you can get from being in like more traditional media channels especially for cpg and like yeah because right. 78 percent of purchases still happen in store maybe for that category even higher because it's oh i need a razor right now let me let me oh, i'm Harry's doing my before. groceries exactly yeah, yeah. I, I was definitely like dogmatic, like we shouldn't be doing anything outside of digital. And like, I didn't really have any data to back that up back then. But I think honestly, having like built a digital business and still not like being reasonably digitally savvy and still being like incredibly intimidated by a lot of those interfaces and things like that, obviously big businesses have the resources to learn it and staff it up. Another uh, interesting thing that i noticed is like the the best talent in that world is not going to accept a salary so like if you know how to turn one dollar into two why are you going to like go and work a eighty thousand dollar job at a corporation and blah we've talked a lot about this so there are obviously exceptions to the rule but it's almost like um uh 
traders at this point. Like they really get the market to the point where like the, the best talent is working in the most liquid part of the market. Oh, they're like stock traders, right? Like you're saying like the, the top ad, digital ad people, they should be compensated like uh, a Morgan Stanley, a top Morgan Stanley commodities. hundred like percent. No and they idea. will be eventually. Yeah. I think, I think if, if not already in some cases, like, you know, agencies work on performance and if you get a, enough of the right clients and you have like, you know, a stake in the business or, um, yeah, performance-based pay or you share upside in some other way, you see that happen at the low end of the market. But I think maybe that's a behavior that will start to sort of trickle up into these bigger businesses. Um, yeah, I find it all pretty fascinating. The, uh, but I also hate, like, we all don't think ads work on us, right? I've, I've worked in advertising for a long time. Yeah. Like, That's the funny thing, right? Everyone says, oh, I hate things. ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're still seeing them. We're still, we, the fact we even talked about Harry's is because we saw ads or we right. heard ads on a podcast. And that's why I think a lot of people like on Google search specifically, there was just people who didn't really know what they're talking about. And they would say, well, who clicks those ads anyway? And right. I'd be like, well, a hundred billion dollars worth of <laughs> right. clicks. Right. So if that's who's clicking on them. And um, the, the one thing I'll say, just to add to what you said about the talent and stuff, I'm not trying to speak about myself like I'm one of those people, but I have for the last few years been self-employed and I do that sort of work. Right? Whoa, 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 go, go, go. not investment advice. Come on, guys. No, no. no, all I was going to say is that is basically how I make most of my living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to do a combination of I'll charge a retainer for someone, which traditionally like the first big kind of contract I got, they were looking for a full-time employee and I just pitched them. I actually responded to, you know, when you get an automated emails where they say like, oh, you signed up for the product, email us if you want to speak. And I always respond to them to see who responds back to me. And that connection turned into, uh, to be transparent, like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of a contract, right, over a long time. And, and that, but that company wanted to hire a full-time person. And I said, look, I'm not looking for a job, but I can do this work for you. I can do the same output but you're getting someone with more experience. I'm going to charge you a similar price, but then I can go and have multiple clients. And then to add on to that, you could, I created deals directly with people where they couldn't afford that amount, but I would say, oh, I'll do a revenue share with you. And now I get a percentage of revenue for every month. Bro, someone signs up. talk about Bilal's business, man. No, 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 it's, not, no it's, it's not that complicated. Those are basically the two main ways. And then I make a tiny bit of money from advertising on my, on my other podcast. So that's pretty much it. But it's just, I don't know, man. I think a lot of people don't even know that's an option. And there is, there's more risk, right? Like tomorrow, those people could say, hey, we can't afford to pay you anymore. And I expect that to happen at some point where things just churn. Uh, but that's okay. That's the part of the risk of me being self-employed. So I kind of accept that. Well, that's but anyway, they say, right? They say in a, in a recession, marketing goes first. I don't know if that's true though, is it? Well, I think at a high level, yes, but a lot of money. And that's actually a critique of the numbers, the year over year numbers, because this time last year, people right, stopped right. advertising or they cut their ads. So that's one contributing factor. But normally, like when I started uh, the Google stuff, it was 2010 in the recession still basically, right? Like after uh, 2008 and nine, people were still cutting their budgets, but Google and Facebook gained in that time because we had the only sort of advertising that could be measured. So right, you right. could say, you're gonna give us a dollar, we will turn it into three. And um, the, the hard thing is now it's becoming harder to do that because 
because it's an auction and a marketplace, one dollar now costs two dollars or whatever. So inflation in it, Bilal. Inflation, yeah. It's the Fed's <laughs> fault, mate. It's the Fed's fault. <laughs> well, it's also, um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. They're going to cut advertising, but the Facebook and Google are going to be last, right? That billboard's going first. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But now it's getting to the point where billboards, radio, and TV might be oh, really efficient. Yeah. Right? Like, And it's just a matter, like, I'm not, I'm kind of agnostic. If I was a CMO of a company, I would say, just show me the numbers and show me the reach and the pros and cons. And like, it might make yeah. sense to run radio ads right now. So anyway, yeah, we talked sure. about a bunch. Go on, Jack. I was just going to say one more thing of, of like, all these markets have like arbitrage inherently baked into them, right? So I've got a couple of friends that started e-com brands in 2012 or whatever. And it's literally, you could throw a dart at a wall on Facebook in 2012 and make money because like you're the first in here and like there isn't this crazy market where people are bidding against you and the other condition that creates is people just like reverse engineer what works from everybody else which is harder to do in tv or on billboards or whatever else because it's not this mark where everybody sees what you're doing so that to me is like it just squeezes it and it becomes so efficient and so competitive that like you really do you know we end up in the same place of like the person who's top 1% gets 95% of the traffic and then everyone else just gets destroyed. So it's just like, it's a really complex subject, but because when you were talking about attribution, Bilal, I was like, yeah, you could just, you can put an equation in front of someone, but it only works for two weeks. And then like that yeah. technique dries up or somebody else beats you to the keyword. They launch an article that's ahead of yours. It's back to the drawing board. So I think the other thing that's nice about, sticking to TV and stuff like that is like, we'll just create a, like a fun story, like a great TV oh, ad yeah. and people yeah. are going to love it. And we don't have to like, just basically show up on the battlefield every day yeah. and just get beaten That's down by someone else's like better war and you're strategy. Not, essentially. You're not overcomplicating it with TV, which is what happens a lot. Sometimes you have too many numbers to look at. And most of the, pro the biggest problem with, the reason I even have any sort of business in that world is because you show a list, a screen full of numbers in Google Analytics to 10 different people and they're going to come up with different conclusions. Yeah. And my job is really to say, what's the most important thing, knowing all how everything links together. So I think the that's another thing. Like with advertisers we worked with in the past, they would say, well, don't we just want to spend on that campaign because it just makes all the money? And like you said, that's just not, that's too sim simplistic because the that's not really, you're not really capturing how users actually behave. Like you don't just buy a visualized value course from seeing it for the first time and then clicking and spending a few hundred dollars. Right. You've seen Jack tweet hundreds of times. You might've had a tweet back from him. You might've watched a video of on NIA. And then eventually that person might buy something, but you, as the person who owns that business, you don't even have insight into all those touch points. So it's, yeah, super complicated, but uh, the well, macro let's, let's thing is this money is moving into this area for sure, man. It's they're in a good place. Yeah. Maybe like, maybe to wrap it up is, is uh, we talk about it all the time is trusted distribution. And that's why brands are building their own media channels and uh, like going direct to the audience building a relationship with them directly is because all of these other things are just going to get squeezed so hard that at the very best you have to employ just killer talent to stay on top of it. Um, 
And that's, that's also true if you're building your own thing, but the relationship is deeper than just like trying to win somebody over in that, in that moment that you talked about, blah. Yeah. No, uh, Tron, you're going to say something? the last feather until we get edge of internet stuff. Cause I know people will be annoyed if they don't have edge of internet from Jack, but, uh, well, just hit us straight, man. I know you're unloading some Google along the way and you're telling us you don't have as much Google as you do back in the day. Tell us how upset you are that you didn't hold on to your winners and tell us what you've done. I was actually like, so this is referencing the telegram we in our telegram group chat, which you can join by clicking the link in the show notes below. Trang and I would or and Jack as well were talking about me selling Google stock along the way of me being there. I tried looking because you you asking me like what's the average sell price and I, there's no way to easily see it's like a stupid interface but I was looking at when I sold and that was a little depressing but you know I, I think what I was doing you know so I sold in 2011 12 14 and that yeah. was pre stock split so I haven't even figured out how much of well, unrealized it it's 2700 today yeah I think so yeah so they what were definitely I think I definitely sold some like 400 and maybe like below a thousand or probably at some point the equivalent of today's money because it was a stock split. I re- yeah. Honestly, I really can't remember. But the but what I did do, to be fair, the reason I was selling was I believed in the company long term. So I still have held stuff until today, but I just had a huge chunk in one stock, right? And I was seeing what's going on with Facebook, what's happening with Amazon. So I most of that stuff I re-bought. I bought Amazon at one point, I had more Facebook stock than I did Google stock. In fact, even now, I think I have more Facebook than Google oh, stock. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I haven't actually got much Google stock, to be honest. Yeah. So, it, yeah. and, and all I'd buy like the QQQ, you know, like the NASDAQ or yeah. S&P 500, because I thought I can't put all my eggs in one basket. Like I'm being paid by this company and I have stock. So if Fair I lose enough. my job or something bad happens, I need to spread the risk. But yeah, it's kind of depressing because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just... You know, I was just like selling along the Google way. Google has the greatest business model ever. You're <laughs> gonna be fine, bro. I know. You, I know. You but but you Amazon's done pretty well. You're the guy. <laughs> That's true. I was uh, betting against it, man. But no, I will say, if I had to pick one, which is, was Jack's question in our Telegram. I'm not really buying Google stock right now, but like the more I'm reading this, the way we're talking about it, like YouTube alone is worth it. Right. And then, but then I look at Amazon and I say, yeah, but look at their cloud. Like their cloud is already crazy. So I'm just like, oh, just buy all of them. Like, you know, they're all not investment advice. (laughs) Well, this this, this is not investment advice, but in my mind, if you have like whatever, hundred K sitting in a freaking savings account, which some people do, right? It's just as safe putting it into these stocks, man. Yeah. It's like they're in five to ten years, they're not gonna be smaller. It's just like even if they get broken up, they'll be more valuable. Someone like, is commenting five years from now in this YouTube chat and say, Trunk, you lost <laughs> yeah, me all my money, man. Yeah. Google money. got and sued. And not <laughs> investment advice. hundred uh, percent. I do have some money that's sitting in a checking account that I should probably take out. But uh what the last thing I wanna say was I totally agree with you, dude, is uh so my previous, I worked at a startup called Kensho. We were acquired by S&P Global. And I was, I got S&P stock. And it's the exact same thing. It's like quadruple since the deal. And I sold everything. But to your logic, I'm like, but my logic is a little bit different, actually. It was, it was an acquisition logic. So your logic was uh, diversification. 
makes total sense. My logic was more so if you get acquired by a company, should you keep their stock? And the question you should always should ask yourself is if you, if that was a cash equivalent, would you buy this company? If the answer is no, you should sell. That's a great uh, way to think about it. Yeah. The problem is that you should have bought it because it's also S and P is something we should talk about because they have three monopolies essentially on data index. So what's the name of the company? Is that the name? S and P global. Like they do like S and P 500. That's their index business. And like, if you hear about bond ratings, it's like a triple A bond. That's S&P doing the ratings. Those are my full monopoly businesses. And they're cruising because their entire business is based on uh, the amount of debt that's issued and the amount of uh, uh, assets under management that use their indices. And S&P 500, a lot of people are using that indice, right? And all, their, and all the other ones that they're using. But TLDR, I'll talk about their business model another time, but they're cruising toward a $500 billion valuation. Like just, they don't have to do anything. Just full cruise control. All they're waiting on is people more financial assets going around but yeah um all right so yeah um let's talk about edge of the internet jack you did this really cool workday auction i don't know if you want to share your screen or i can share it if you want yeah let me um, share it um this was a really cool idea man thank you uh let me just share this up can you see this yeah that coming this up is killer yeah so we just ran, um, well, a lot of this is inspired by conversations we've been having and just thinking about the future of work and, you know, NFTs, Web3, all of this stuff. So the experiments or the, uh, the participation in this world today has been like, make a piece of art, sell a piece of art, right? Which is 99% of the use of NFTs as it stands right now. A lot of people working on a lot of cool stuff in this space beyond like the trading of a token that represents an asset. But um, what I think is interesting is this is partially about NFTs, but partially about the market dynamics that NFTs have been introduced under, right? The auctions and the, um, the marketplaces that concentrate attention around these assets. Like anybody can make an NFT, go on OpenSea and do whatever, but the the thing that makes it really interesting in my mind is the fact that you're like kind of creating this little market for something that has this really high frequency behavior. And there are a couple of interesting, a uh, couple of interesting dynamics in the foundation platform specifically, which is what I'm sharing my screen on. Now we talked about this in one of our early podcasts, but if people bid in the last 15 minutes of the auction, then the timer resets itself. So, the idea here was like price discovery for time. So a lot of the stuff that I've put out over the last couple of years has been the opposite of this message. Like don't sell your time. So this is kind of, there is a certain irony to this uh, exercise as well. But what I wanted to experiment with is like, what does the market value my time at knowing what it knows about me? So I I'm trying to basically put a value on proof of work as it pertains to like a single creator. So if you had like, you know, think of anybody who's like produces stuff on the internet that you like, if they gave you an opportunity for them to produce something for you and just let you bid on an auction for their time, how much would you be prepared to pay? And that's basically what I was trying to figure out here. So I, I started four auctions, split my day into four segments, so three hour working sessions and set the reserve at the lowest you could set it, which is 200 bucks. So that's 
you know, around 60 something dollars an hour. And let's see if somebody bids at that rate. And then the auction runs for 24 hours. So they ended up all closing at a really similar price, which is also fascinating, right? It's like there's four different people won these auctions. They all closed between one Ethereum and 1.2 Ethereum, which is uh, somewhere between like 2,300 bucks and 2,800 bucks uh, based on the price of Ethereum today. And then, you know, we'll do uh, three hours of work. We'll make something else. And in some cases, potentially, you know, build an asset off the back of that meeting and then potentially re they own that and they can auction that. Um, so kind of an experiment learning or trying to test a hypothesis really that the, um, the, the future of work is going to be like this really liquid market for talent, right? Like the ideas that we've been talking around about around ad buying, where it's like, you need Bilal to run a consult on your brand. What results does he have in his portfolio and how well has he displayed that? And what are you willing to pay for that? So this is basically leading me down another road, which is, you know, can you build something that allows I think just creators are pretty horrible at monetizing them themselves in general, right? We've talked about this a lot. There's been a lot of themes and the advice, you know, that I've given myself even is like, you need to build a product. But the reality is there is for a lot of people, there's a stage in between that where you're not necessarily like operating at a scale where a product can satisfy uh, your financial requirements, right? You're not People... completely divorcing time. Exactly. And could I just add one thing, Jack? Just to, the way I described it before was you're like, I see like a job, you're straight up selling your time. And then there's something on the other side where you're not, you're just selling like output or, you know, a uh, end result product that runs itself. And in between, there's something where you're still being paid for the output, but it, it's not dependent on your time as an input, if that makes sense. And yeah. I think that's kind of what, I mean, in this case, you are selling the three hours, but you know, I think it's a, it's a hybrid. It's not the same as like hire me to be part of your company. It's kind of in between. Yeah. And, and I think at all scales, like the anti-fragile approach to being a creator, I think is a, is a smart one. So you're going to have like different, you know, different revenue streams as an individual like even like in different ways you package up your craft. Um, I think like smart contract engineers, let's use that as an example. Everybody's trying to launch these Ethereum projects, right? And these guys don't know how much to charge. There's no supply and demand dynamic um, in the same way that like a market for a very, uh, yeah, a very sophisticated asset is like, you know, if you're buying and selling Google stock, there's price discovery, there's buyer, seller, there's what it reflects the value of the thing, but we don't have that really for people that have skills that are in high demand. And I'm sure there are a ton of people building platforms to do this, but what it, I think what's interesting about something like this is how does that start to integrate with the networks that you've already built rather than trying to put people into different platforms? So Twitter, for example, loads of people have said Twitter is your resume, right? 
somebody who's reading your Twitter feed kind of has a sense of what you're capable of, what you're about, what type of work you do in like, if so, if Trung was like, Hey, I'll write, like I'll ghost write 20 threads a week for a news publication. I'm putting an auction <laughs> up now, right. Bid on it. Yeah. If there's going to be a market there no, and you dude. wouldn't, that's a great idea. And you wouldn't <laughs> we need have to, to hold on a second. That is freaking genius. I do have the boogie, but I want to, hold on, Jack. We need to we need to add that for next week because I, I want to tease that out. Yeah. But what I want to add here was so you, I just want to confirm you made about ten G's from this little non fungible performance art as you called it. Correct. So my last question is this: before I boogie, but you guys continue. How much money have you made from mere NFTs to date? About four hundred seventy thousand dollars, I think. <laughs> Get in the game, son. Well, I, I tweeted something earlier. Let me let me pull the screen share up um, just before you go, Trunk, if you got a second. But this is, is a really surprising stat. You're going to get him in trouble, but go on, go on, Jack. No, the guy, the, the guy that ran Foundation, <laughs> that runs Foundation messaged me yesterday. He's like, did you know you're in the top 10 of creators Ooh, here? That is sick. Bro, what, you are... That is incredible. You're Edward Snowden's number one. <laughs> yeah, same list as Edward Snowden. You, you don't want to be in that same list, do you? But wait, this is a different uh, type of list. The last thing I want to add with the listeners is I'm so glad we did this because you know I'm I'm clipping this out and that's going on Twitter as the promo for this episode. <laughs> How well, much money did Jack Butcher make on there? <laughs> well, this idea like also is like I've brute forced my way here as well. Look at these guys. I got one of yeah, one. Like Edward Snowden, he has some uh, built-in uh, reputation there. Yeah, <laughs> and he sold one NFT and made five million bucks, right? I've sold twenty-seven to twenty-three Bro. different people. Yeah, it's a very different game that we're playing, and I think a lot of creators are like, "Oh, I, I need to, you know, produce the perfect thing, and that's gonna like rocket me." So I've just been playing this game of like brute forcing consistency for Dude, years and this. years and years. It's incredible. I, I'm going to boogie. This is amazing, but you guys keep going, man. We'll catch up. Thank you. And apologies. Thanks, Trung, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll it, just let's run go for back a little to bit the, the bit we're talking about, the market for someone like oh, Trung. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry, Trung, you should log off. Log off because <laughs> I don't and know if kick I can him. kick him off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, log off. Log off if you can. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> That's That's All right, we're going. Yeah, while yeah, yeah, you're yeah. talking. So that idea of like, and I've... Even people who have an incredible amount of demand on their time and their skill set really don't know how to price themselves. Mm. It's a really weird thing. Like I've felt really uncomfortable saying, hey, my time costs this much and I've had to like justify it somehow of like, I, like here's a Calendly link where you can pay X to talk yeah. to me. And now I have this thing where I can point to it and be like, oh, I ran an open auction for my time. This is what it's valued it's, at. It's straight up market. It's like what we talked about before with Google. It's like straight up auction. There's like market everyone. Forces. Yeah. And I know you're, I'm as big a fan of this as anyone as well, but I think you're even more than me, which is like, let the market decide. And you don't have any, uh, like you'll put stuff out and most of the time it hits. And then there's a few things that don't. And you yeah, sure. see it as like, okay, the market didn't like that. So you just see it as feedback. And I, that sounds kind of like a cliche thing, but it's, you genuinely live that. Like you're, you're like, okay, they didn't like it or it didn't really pick up in this way. Maybe the next time I do it picks up and there's a bit more momentum. I will say just one thing, because the way you've done it is like as edge of the internet as it gets, right? Like you're literally using NFTs where people already know you. Mm -hmm. um, it, like even the phrase you used, was it like performance art or non something? Non-fungible performance non -fungible. art. Non-fungible, yeah, 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 that's yeah. an incredible name and it kind of works. 
obviously on the lower end, you've got like Upwork and Fiverr and stuff like that, where you can go and hire a designer, a video editor, or whatever. And that is already a, an active marketplace where, you know, it's fairly liquid. Um, but I think the way you're doing it here is is obviously very different. And you're doing it in a place where you've, that is your resume, like you said, like people are following you. It's going out to the people that have seen your resume for two, three years by this point. And they're seeing those thousands and thousands of like, you know, reps basically. Mm-hmm. Instead of, hey, I'm looking for a designer, send me your portfolio. Right. It's like they, you've been showing your portfolio. And and now, and it takes honestly quite a lot of, I hate to use this phrase, but like bravery just to put yourself on the lowest reserve when it I know- It could have been a f- disaster, flop. yeah. And yeah. it might have been like, it might hurt your ego a bit and you're like, oh man, that's kind yeah. of a bit shit. But, yeah. but like now publicly people can see and they're like, all right, for one day's worth of work, the market bid 10, 12 grand or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. And yeah. if I'm going to hire Jack for the day, that's the minimum I'm probably going to have to spend. You've probably charged even more than that, I'm sure. So it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's a great, great way to do it, man. It's pretty fascinating. I think the, like, I think maybe it's a, uh, the crypto thing, like you, eBay is an auction site, right? eBay, you can place bids on stuff and run an auction. But for whatever reason, this behavior, like you're, you're meeting culture where it is as well, because like auctions for NFTs are of the moment. That's what I've been doing and talking about. So it feels like a natural... Um, evolution of it. Natural evolution, but I'm also slicing the market up massively by doing that, right? Like how many people following that have even an ethereum wallet with ethereum in it it's not a lot I that's think. true yeah it's like so the it's pre-qualified percentage is small and then i did like you also added if you don't have ethereum to do this you can also retweet the first tweet i think and you're you're giving, one, giving slot one slot out, slot yeah yeah which is great i think just as an experiment i think it's great and like you've done a lot of these before like i think you showed one where you did the crowdsource figma thing where a bunch of people are designing stuff because Look, man, like you've made obviously a great amount of money from NFTs and all the work you've done. But I love on that flip side, you'll just do something. Most of the time, it's just for the fun of it. And naturally, you make a good amount of money from it because that's your value. But like on the flip side, you'll happily give someone time. You'll do something for free. And it's yeah, I think you're doing it, doing it the right way, man, because it's a new way to to show people how to monetize, like you said. Yeah, I'll go back to what you said about like, let the market decide and get free feedback and stuff. That's definitely not like, I don't brush that off as like, Oh, who cares? Like if I did that and like nobody bid on it, it would have been freaking brutal. It would have been yeah. like, this sucks. Do you, has that, has this happened much before where you've recently put something out and you're like, Oh, you thought it was going to really pop. And didn't. You know, I was talking it sounds to David. like Creator Lab now, but it's all right. It's just me and you for a minute. No, no, <laughs> I, I was talking to David Perel about this the other day. And it's like, there is no correlation between the time, amount of time you spend or how good you think something is and how it's received. And that's just like a, like just a ridiculous shift in mentality where you, in the same way that like the Google algorithm makes a decision, like you might've spent forever building this uh, pre-roll ad that you think is hilarious. And then you put it out to market and they're like, this is shit. Everyone skips it, it on, in the first yeah, the one feedback. second. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, that's the funny thing. It's like, and it's quite demoralizing for the person who's doing it. But that's a good reminder to be like, the market doesn't care. Like I've said this about my podcast before, right? Like sometimes I'll spend 
hours and hours creating the best clip and writing out this <laughs> yeah. summary and i'll literally record something for 10 seconds which is a picture of us on zoom right. and it will like fly because people saw the authentic side or yeah. like you know the natural side where it doesn't feel rehearsed and you just don't know until you you keep putting stuff out and like like you said market decides you know so you kind of have to just put it yeah, out yeah and i think the function of these digital markets is like if the market doesn't like it nobody sees it and that's another like interesting thing for people to get their head around um so you can look at say you write two tweets or you post two products one gets x number of impressions one gets another and it literally disappears from twitter or wherever else if it doesn't hit but but the cognit the way you think about that cognitively is like everybody's going to see that this isn't performing the opposite is actually true. Like Twitter is making an assessment based on the first hundred people they show it to, and then they're going to bury it, which is an interesting like cognitive yeah. thing that you can't quite get your head around because you're staring at it like, man, this didn't hit, it didn't work. Um, yeah, more often than not, like I'll ask people like, oh, do you see that thing I did that was that was like that sucked? They're like, what? I'm never like that, the people that you would think was getting every single honestly, thing you post. I feel the same about this podcast sometimes because like you, uh, obviously you and Trung have hundreds of thousands of people following you and like, you know, we've talked about this on the pod before, but as soon as you share an external link on Twitter, it, you know, you don't, most people don't see it. Yeah. And the amount of times we've obviously been sharing out for some time, <laughs> <clears throat> and um and what you'll find now is people comment and be like oh i had no idea you guys were doing this and that's just because of the algorithm right and yeah. you know over time more and more people see it and they they like put two and two together um but that's another thing where like back to your point earlier about the amount of people that see it um influences everything obviously and sometimes it doesn't mean like no investment advice is a bad idea because the right. first tweet we put out it didn't, didn't get a million it, right. retweets right it was oh okay so you're kind of still dependent on on the algorithm in that case but i think what the skill is to take that small sample size and say out of the people who saw it what was the feedback like 100%. whether and the way i see it with a podcast specifically is were there enough people that love this because it's like, if people just like it, it's not enough because it's too many podcasts and it's a big ask. You have to ask people to listen to an hour. It's not just a tweet that you're going right. to like or retweet. So it's, I think I've, I've felt like that with my podcast and then obviously this, what we've done together. Um, so you have to be able to like separate, okay, this isn't flying like a trunk thread, right. but the people who are messaging us are listening to this for an hour and a half and we know like every week it's growing and every week people more people are telling us how much they like it another thing i'll say on that is it's behaviorally there are different things right like people will interact with and amplify something that is like a social signal for them in a lot yeah, of, that's a great in, point in a lot of instances so like i think one of the reasons visualized value is successful in reaching more people is that that image is like, oh, that philosophy or that idea resonates with me and I want to broadcast that versus Completely. like I'm listening or like I've just bought this thing from this person. Far fewer people are going to share a behavior like that than they are like, here's this like, uh, you know, joke that I found funny or here's this idea that I value. Um, and, you know, great marketing. You're, you can do both at the same time, but you're not going to get 100% hit rate. But I think that's uh, another thing to to 
take into consideration when you're evaluating this stuff. You're reaching a lot of people, but the behaviors are going to be different depending on the, the context, the ask, all of these uh, different Definitely. things. And links, as we know, are just getting just absolutely get decimated because <laughs> yeah. Twitter's trying to build their own world, right? You go on they the internet. They want to keep you there. They're bringing, yeah. I think I just saw they're launching e-com like in Twitter. So you can put stores and uh, uh, products in your profile. So it's I just going like every, every one of these social, it's almost going back to the AOL the days, right? Yeah. yeah. AOL, where it's like you go in and you're in AOL and that's it. That's where you spend your time. And Facebook's trying to do that. Um, Twitter's trying to do that. Uh, yeah. Google's trying to do that. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Mental, man. Well, anyway, congrats on that. That's a cool experiment, man. Was Thank there anything you. else on that before we... Uh, no, man, that was fun. Uh, hopefully that was people fun. that were listening could follow along because I know we had a few visual cues there, but uh, we'll put a link in the, in the video yeah, as well. Yeah, you can check out the, the auction as well. But yeah, Jack, that was really cool to, to hear all the breakdown, man. Um, I want to see more experiments like this. I think we, we, we could probably do some sort of experiments with... NIA as well. I think the Telegram is already one, which has been pretty, like yeah, already kind of exceeded my expectations. It's not like a million people in there, but the people in there seem to be really liking it. And uh, so that's pretty fun. But I think there's more stuff we can maybe do with live stuff, merch we've talked about, maybe NFTs. Like there's plenty of yeah, stuff for us to, so much fun stuff, to try out. But um, all right. Anything else before we close out, mate? No, thanks to everyone for listening. I think we're getting up there, aren't we? What episode is this? Uh, I think it's like the 16th, 17th one we've Mate. recorded, if you include number one. Oh, we're going to be in zero. the top 1% of podcasts in a few episodes time. I know, in 22, yeah. I was like, <laughs> good times, man. No, always um, a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. All right, well, thanks again. If you made it all the way to the end, let us know. And uh, like, subscribe, share. Um, let, write us a review on Apple if you can that would be great join the Telegram group listen in and um, yeah as always if you take any of this as investment advice it is not investment advice <laughs> and we will see you next week for some more unqualified opinions thank you uh, guys see you next Appreciate week it. cheers